This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. This past weekend, we celebrated our Founders Day, founding of the African Methodist Episcopal Church at our first district plaza in Philadelphia. And since this is also Black History Month, I thought I would use these next series of messages to provide some educational content regarding not just the African Methodist Episcopal Church, but also the black church within the context of American history. I will admit that these series of messages may become uncomfortable at times, and I, I want to kind of set the tone early, but if you hang in there, you will find that you are far better off knowing than not knowing some of the key things about our history, especially in the light of this dominant culture's push to try and rewrite American history. The book of Acts tells a story of the experience of the Apostle Paul. And I would like to read it again. And I want you to listen to the reading of these scriptures with ears that are sensitive to black folk. Listen to the scriptures as it's read, even though it's talking about the Apostle Paul and one of his many experiences. I want you to listen to it with the sensitivity of a person of color. Acts, the 22nd chapter, the 22nd through to the 29th verses, reads as follows. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So while I will always exalt the name of Jesus, I want to take this opportunity to talk about why things are so difficult for people of color in this country. I 
and to see if we can at least understand the underpinnings of the mindset of racism and, and why many white people believe that they are entitled to provisions that are not afforded to anyone that does not look like them. And I aim to do this in a message I've titled as a reflective question. By what right? By what right? Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. By what right do we have to come into your house of worship to offer unto you anything at all? By what right are we as human beings who have fallen so far away from your glory? By what right can we come into your throne room of grace and even to make petition to you as a king? By what right? So Lord, speak through this preacher and let your people who listen here in the deepest parts of their souls why we have this right. Bless the word and the hearing, the preaching, the understanding, the receiving, and the accepting of this word today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <laughs> I am a naturalized citizen of the United States of America. I am a naturalized citizen because I was born outside of the United States in a beautiful country called Jamaica. And by virtue of the immigration process, I was able to legally obtain American citizenship. Now as a citizen of the United States, as validated in fact by the records that are kept with the Secretary of State of the United States of America, I have certain rights and privileges that would differentiate me from all others who do not possess such rights. Yeah. I have rights that people who come here as visitors do not have. I have rights that people who come here as diplomats do not have. I have rights that people who come here legally and then overstay do not have. I have rights that people who come here seeking amnesty do not have. I have rights that people who are refugees who come here do not have. I have rights that people who come here illegally do not have. I have rights that people who came here involuntarily, as in on slave ships, did not have. In fact, the rights that have been afforded to me are no different from those who were born here, with the exception that I can never hold the office of president or vice president of the United States. Mm. Now, this is what the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution actually says in what's known as its citizenship clause. All persons born or naturalized in the United States, like me, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they 
reside. No state, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So on paper, I have some rights, Amen. some privileges, and some immunities as a citizen of these United States. Are you still tracking with me? But it begs the question, what specifically are those rights or privileges or immunities that come with citizenship such that no state can make any rule to append them? Well, these rights and privileges are actually found in what, and you guessed it, what's known as the Bill of Rights. And they include, hear this, freedom of speech, so I can say what I want. Freedom of religion, so I can worship who or where I want. The right to keep and bear arms, hello. The freedom of assembly, and the freedom to petition, meaning I can go protest. It also prohibits unreasonable search and seizure, cruel, an unusual punishment and compel self-incrimination. So as a citizen of the United States of America, I have all of these privileges and immunities, and according to the United States Constitution, no state, including all the southern states, Alabama, Georgia, you name it, all the southern states can make any rule or any law that can take these rights and privileges and immunities away from me. Furthermore, the part that I especially want to highlight in the Bill of Rights is the part where it prohibits or prevents or stops states from carrying out unreasonable searches and seizures, unreasonable cruel and unusual punishment, and unreasonably compelling self-incrimination. So to make it very plain, as a citizen of the United States of America, whether born here or naturalized, no state can search or seize my property. No state can inflict cruel and unusual punishment on me. And no state can compel me to incriminate myself. Unless it's reasonable what it said in the text, unless it's reasonable. Hmm. But what history has shown us, especially as black people, is that states in fact thought it reasonable to seize and search my property, as in the case of something called imminent domain. <laughs> states in fact thought it reasonable to inflict cruel and unusual punishment on us as in the case of chattel slavery. States did in fact thought it was reasonable to compel us to incriminate ourselves as in the case of the so-called Central Park Five. 
and, and since states, in fact, did these things because we are black, then it stands to reason that we might not really be seen as citizens after all. <laughs> Whether we were born here, dragged here, or not. In fact, this truth is reasonably, this truth I'm talking about is reasonably codified, which means to put into words and in a book and in a document, it's reasonably codified in the United States Constitution in Article 1, Section 2, and Clause 3, more popularly known as the Three-Fifths Compromise. You know it, where the government counted three-fifths of all of the slaves in a state toward that state's total population for the purpose of giving southern states more power in the House of Representatives. This allowed, of course, states to reasonably carry out searches and seizures, reasonably <laughs> cause cruel and unusual punishment, and reasonably compel us to self-incriminate. Did you whistle at that white woman? Well. I did not. Yes, you did. I did not. Yes, you did. And I will beat you till you say you did. Compelling self-incrimination. For that was, at the time, reasonable. Are you with me? It was this reasonable codification that permitted states to enact disenfranchisement laws known as Jim Crow, which was, by the way, a formal and legal system of racial apartheid that dominated the American South for three quarters of a century beginning in the 1890s. These laws affected almost every aspect of black daily life, mandating segregation in schools, parks, libraries, drinking fountains, restrooms, buses, trains, and restaurants with white-only and colored-only signs as constant reminders of the enforced racial order. Brothers and sisters, this was legal. In legal theory, blacks received separate but equal treatment under the law, yeah. where in actuality, public facilities for blacks were nearly always inferior to those for whites if they even existed at all. I'm only telling you the truth. It's history. In addition, blacks were systematically denied the right to vote in most <laughs> of the rural South through the selective application of literacy tests and other racially motivated criteria. You can only vote if you guess how many jelly beans are in this jar. Now, while Section 2 of the 14th Amendment in 1868 later superseded this clause and explicitly repealed the compromise, does not change the fact that while you can easily change a document, while you can easily create a new law to overshadow the old law, while you can add amendments and addendums, the truth of the matter is it's not so easy to change a mindset. And when that mindset believes that you are only three-fifths of a person, they don't care what's on the paper or what is legal. For I will always see you as less than, not quite a citizen. You're not fully human as far as we're concerned, and I can trade you like cattle. I'm just saying. 
So with that kind of mindset, the question we all must ask is simply this, which is the title of my sermon, By What Right? What gives you the right to do what you're doing? Where does that come from? By what right were they allowed to kidnap people from another country and separate families? What gave you the right? By what right are you allowed to transport human beings in dehumanizing conditions across the Middle Passage? What gave you that right? By, by what right? What, what gives you the right to, you know, what gave them the right to, to enslave human beings? And by what right are you allowed to profit from another's free labor? Furthermore, and to make it even relevant in our day, by what right are they incarcerating blacks in state prisons in nearly five times the rate of white Americans? By what right are they sentencing our youth to juvenile correctional facilities and then later arresting and convicting them as adults, forcing them to serve time in adult jails at a significantly higher rate than their white counterparts? Are you tracking with me? By what right are they changing sentencing laws and policy such that there are two million people in the nation's prisons and jails, which is a 500% increase over the last 40 years when there is no such commensurable change in the crime rate? You see, if the crime rate was changing, to the point where more blacks are doing things, then it would make sense. But the crime rate is the crime rate. I'm just saying. By what right are they giving black youth prison sentences that were on average 7.8% longer than the prison sentences they give to whites for the same type of offense? Now all of this you can find out for yourself because I'm not making these up and I want to thank Dr. Charles Boyer during our Founders Day for presenting us with this information and you can look him up. And if that were not enough, by what right are they denying us mortgages? <laughs> by what right are they giving us higher interest rates even though we have the same credit score as other folk? <laughs> by what right are they delaying small business loans to black farmers, thereby causing them to not be prepared for their annual crop seasons. You see the subtlety, right? <laughs> By what right? And I'm just asking the question, because I need somebody, anybody, to tell me why. Yeah. Now to answer these questions, we have to go back a little bit in history to see just where they believe they have earned this right. And to be clear, to be clear, the they that I'm talking about <laughs> is the dominant culture, which is white people. And the reason why I'm being so emphatic is because it is high time that we as a church stop dancing around politically correct terms and call a thing for what it actually is. The problems of our community stem from the leadership of institutions that are run by people other than black people. And these institutions are overwhelmingly dominated by white people. 
This is not to suggest, of course, that all white people are bad or even to suggest that all black people are good. But it is to make clear that to solve the problems of our community, we have to go to the source of where the problem exists and from whom the cause of the problems emanate. If a slave master was the source of our problem, we had to go to the institution of slavery and the government and the slave master in these United States because the slave master was not black. Hmm. In some cases. If the police are killing our people, then we have to go to the office of the mayor and the police departments and to their police unions as well. If doctors are killing our women, then we have to go to the medical schools and to their medical associations. And finally, if our kids are not being educated, then we have to go to the school boards and the superintendents and the teachers. I think you get my point. And here's my favorite, to be honest with you. If we got a problem with the justice system, you kind of got to sign up for jury duty too and get on those boards. I'm just saying. So this is not about making enemies or being scared to be canceled. I don't care. This is about going to the source of our issues and not being afraid to confront it because according to the Constitution of the United States, we have a right to do so. But by what right are they doing all the things that they've been engaged in? That was the question I asked. Well, 89 years after the Declaration of Independence had proclaimed that all men were free and equal, slavery was supported under the original Constitution, since it clearly affirmed that African Americans were worth only three-fifths of a person. Remember, the Constitution made that clear. But the more insidious justification came through, you guessed it, the Supreme Court. You see, where even though many Americans were opposed to racism. There were a lot of people, we call them abolitionists back then, who really didn't feel comfortable because some of them were godly, God-fearing people. And, and we understand that they were a little uncomfortable about that. They unwittingly, in many cases, agreed with Chief Justice Roger Taney. Look him up. His claim in what we know to be the Dred Scott decision in 1857, he said that the founders' constitution regarded blacks, and I quote, as so far inferior that they had no rights which the white man was bound to respect, and that the Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. That's what a Supreme Court justice said. And oh, by the way, when you see Ron DeSantis say slavery was good for black people, why? Because they learned certain skills. You have to hear what he's saying behind the words. Because if you think that we gain skills because of oppression, you really don't know who we 
are. This is a singular statement that I believe that made white people feel that they had a right to do all the things that we, by intuition alone, know to be unjust. This is what gave them the right. So now you know. With this in mind, and make no mistake about it, you might have even been born here. You might have been naturalized here. But the evidence shows that it was and still in many ways is seen by the dominant culture that it is still today reasonable to seize and to search your property. To inflict cruel and unusual punishment on you today. Stop and frisk. To compel you to incriminate yourself. To incarcerate your children at an alarming rate. To emasculate black men to over-sexualize black women, to disenfranchise, undervalue, and marginalize you because these injustices were protected by law. That's what they do. That's what they did by right. So how is it that all of this is related to our text today? Well, let's revisit it. Now, as I read our text, I, I ask you to imagine the Apostle Paul as if he were representing the consciousness of African Americans, facing the dominant Roman culture, which is emblematic of the mood and the mindset of white America. And I, and I want to read it again. After everything that I've just said, I want to read it one more time because, again, learning happens through repetition, right? Repetition, they say, is the mother of learning. So, again, listen to the text. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? <laughs> yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The apostle Paul, as he was facing the masses whip, inquired, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? In other words, Paul is simply asking, by what right? By what right are you taking it upon yourself to inflict pain on a people who have done nothing to harm or hinder your success or your ability to survive, other than to try and survive themselves in a society of oppression and degradation, even to the point where they do, when they do try to pull themselves up by their laceless bootstraps, you burn and lynch and maim them. But what fascinates me in the story is how the dominant culture responded. Look carefully again. 
As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. He answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul said. Here we have Paul, a natural-born citizen, asserting his right to not be dehumanized through a public beating by a naturalized citizen who was not born in Rome, but instead was an immigrant who happened to have had the resources to buy his citizenship. Do you see the hypocrisy? Someone who assumed the identity of a nation, persecuting someone because he did not know who he was persecuting. Sounds familiar? If not, it should. You see, in a nation that was founded by immigrants and refugees fleeing religious persecution, who had stolen the lands from an indigenous people, taking others away from their own homeland to be enslaved for economic gain and to even engage in a brutal civil war to protect their right to dominate are now the same people that were persecuting people who are natural born citizens. This is precisely why Frederick Douglass on July 5th, 1852, in his famous keynote address at an Independence Day celebration, asked the question, are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. <laughs> For the public grieving, as Frederick Douglass implied, by African Americans all these years since 1619 is, as, is, is understood in the words of Walter Brueggemann who says this, the most visceral announcement that things are not right is in our grieving. Only the empire, the dominant culture, only in the empire are we pressed and urged and invited to pretend that things are all right? And as long as the empire, the dominant culture, can keep the pretense alive that things are all right, there will be no real grieving, and get this, no real serious criticisms. This is why white people keep telling black people to just get over it. Slavery happened a long time ago. But the wound is still raw, for it has never been dressed. And even before the statements of Frederick Douglass, Richard Allen, founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, upon whose shoulders we now stand even today, Richard Allen thought heavily about the idea of even leaving this nation and going to places like Canada. He himself stated in 1830, this is what he says, his words, the formation of a settlement in the British province of Upper Canada would be a great advantage to people of color, where we shall be entitled to all the rights, privileges, and immunities as other citizens. AME Bishop Richard Allen doubted the ability 
of the United States to foster an environment of racial equality. And so for the last 15 years of his life, he meditated deeply on black exodus from this country rather than black redemption within this country. In fact, Allen publicly testified to his divided soul for he was an American and not an American. He was a free man and not a free man. A man dedicated to saving America from racial sin <laughs> and a man in search of a country free from racial sin. He was an African American and an African trapped in America. And the most troubling question we as people of color must soberly ask ourselves, especially as we reflect honestly during this Black History Month, is this question which popped into my spirit as I'm working on this sermon. Here is the question that I want if you hear nothing else in this message, listen to this question. Because I think unless we reflect on it, change ain't gonna come. So here is the question for everyone. Is America just about us improving the welfare of white men? Think about what I just asked. Is America just about us improving the welfare and the livelihood of white men? Think about where you work. Think about how you live. Think about how you make ends meet. Think about the opportunities that you have or have been denied. Think about who benefits ultimately from everything that you put your hands to, where even your children are operating in a manner that causes someone else to benefit. I'm just asking the question as a lowly preacher. That's the real question about where we are in this country. And I'll, I'm okay with asking the hard questions. Because if the answer to the question is yes, then those that are leading our institutions and those that are in power have every right to inflict on us the injustices that we have come to experience. If that's why we're here, they have every right to do it. But if the answer is no, then there is going to come a reckoning one day. For those that have spent centuries persecuting the innocent and profiting off of the backs and lives of the marginalized and exploiting the vulnerable, they will have to answer one day for their atrocities. For the Bible tells me that God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For the dominant culture has no right to do the things that they're doing and have done. But the Apostle Paul, in his challenge to the dominant culture, in the text, it tells us those who were about to interrogate him withdraw immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized <laughs> that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. This lets me know that there is still such a thing as grace for America. Yeah. For if America recognizes that some of us 
especially black people, are citizens protected by the rights as established in the Bill of Rights, then she has to withdraw her offense immediately and repent. This is the prophetic call upon this nation. And for those who are on the fringes, who are seeking citizenship, the question has to be asked, what right do they have to deny you the opportunity to express your freedom? So they use it as a weapon for those who are on the border. Because those who are escaping their own persecution have found the worst enemy they could find from a people who should know what it's like to be escaping themselves. I have to opine a little bit on even what's happening in Gaza. People have been pushed to the edge, to the southern Gaza, and everything that they knew before has been decimated. And now leaflets are falling saying, hey, find somewhere else to go. And Egypt says, you can't come across this border. So you have in an area that used to be occupied by maybe several thousands people, thousands of people, a small area now being occupied by over two million people. Mm. It's like Mount Vernon is four square miles and you take every single black person in America and you push them in these four square miles and all the border. You can't go to the Bronx, you can't go, you can't go to the Bronx, you can't go to, to, to Pelham, you can't go to Yonkers, you can't go to Eastchester. You're packed in this area and they're saying, okay, find somewhere to go because now we're getting ready to bomb this area. My brothers and my sisters, I could care less what criticisms you give me from this pulpit. But there is a part of me that wants to try to understand why a people who know what it's like to be persecuted persecutes themselves. I want to understand the mindset because you can write something on paper but until the mindset has been changed until I see you as a human being, I will always treat you as three-fifths or even less than. If I see you as an animal, you have no rights. And I ain't talking about Jewish or Palestinian relations. I'm talking about human beings and how we treat each other. Yes, I have a responsibility to respond and defend myself because the Bill of Rights did tell me I could take up arms, did it not? That's right. yeah. To defend myself. Didn't say take up arms to go on the offensive. Very different. But anyway, so as I close this reflective American history message during this Black History Month, I want to say that Paul stayed persecution from his adversary because he knew his rights as a citizen. Mm. Certainly as a citizen of Rome, but more importantly, as a citizen of heaven. For as Paul himself says in Philippians, the third chapter and the 18th to the 21st verse, and, and this is the part where I got excited. Paul says, hear this church, for... As I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, 
Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. How about you? Do you know where you belong and where you really are a citizen? And I'm not talking about the United States or Haiti or Jamaica. For if not, you have an opportunity today to migrate to a land that flows with milk and honey, where your citizenship was bought and fully paid for, thereby giving you the right to be called a child of God. And if you want all of the rights and privileges and immunities that come with that kind of citizenship, then I invite you to join me today, for you must be born again. See that? Did y'all catch that? You must be born again. Born of incorruptible seed. Paul says, I was born a citizen. And you and I must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. For what is born of the spirit is of the spirit. And what is born of the spirit of the flesh is of the flesh. And so the question is asked, by what right do we have to call God Father? Jesus paid the price. And it is by his right that you and I Finally, free. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. This is my Father's word, and to my listening ears, all nature sings. And around me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's word.
Jesus Lord.